0: young adults who are dismissed. All right, that's on. Put that in there. for my late wife. Thank you. You Fabulous. Now I got eye drops, I can get rid of the grit. I got eyeballs again. I haven't been wearing them this morning. All right, where are we? Get our thoughts together. There are a couple other additional handout thingy-majobbers that I will uh, make available later. PowerPoint's on. We come to... I don't. Thank you. Wait for my eyes to adjust and the head to stop the dizziness and we'll get going. All right. Distinguishing traits of healthy churches. We have been seeking to put our thoughts together, align them with scriptural revelation, scriptural truth so that we might search and submit to God's model of church health so that we can excel still more. This would be part seven of a a distinguishing trait of health. In the church, understanding church membership. People are members of a lot of things clubs, gyms, teams. But when we talk about church membership, this is a unique membership. It's not just a mix of widely different people, but a visible recognition of our spiritual union and oneness that comes from being in Christ. One way to look at it is the the church is the gospel made visible, members of the family. If you wanted a good starting point, we would find ourselves in Ephesians chapter 4 in gathering biblical theology, biblical thoughts of our union with Christ and with each other. I think it's crucial regularly for us to do studies on the church because there is such a misunderstanding on the church, the church with all of its uh, peripheral and external and uh, issues, uh, a lot of the baggage. uh, When somebody asks you what the church is, you know, that it's not a place but a people, and uh, that it's not just an organization, but an organism. It is the body of Christ. And so, in Ephesians 4, the Apostle Paul says, "...therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the body and the spirit of in the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This is a remarkable passage that comes... Ephesians 4 comes after what? Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, where he's been unpacking the greatness of Christ and His saving gospel in our lives in calling from the world a collection of saints for the praise of His own glory. One hope, one faith, one baptism, one Lord, one God and Father who is over all, and in all, and through all. We are in spiritual union with Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit through the sovereign electing grace and love of the Father. It's Trinitarian fellowship. A neglect or even a refusal to join as formal, uh, a formal member reflects, I think, a misunderstanding of the believer's responsibility to the body of Christ and even cuts believers off from the many blessings and opportunities that flow from this commitment, which we'll look at in just a moment. So let's think first of all, uh, or, or throughout our time here for these next several minutes, some of the implications of Scripture towards a biblical understanding of church membership. As the Bible state, thou shalt join First Baptist Church of thus and such a town. You know, no, we are not commanded in Scripture anywhere, but it's implied all throughout the New Testament. In the early church, coming to Christ was coming to church. Experiencing salvation without belonging to to the local expression, was a foreign concept. Let me propose to you a a couple of implications. How about the lists that are used in the New Testament? There are lists of people. One of those lists is found in 1 Timothy 5, which we won't turn to, but uh, these are the widows that are supported by the church. How would we know who we as a church are helping alongside unless they're part of the church. And that's not the only list in in Scripture. As the gospel goes forth in the book of Acts and Luke narrates the, the growth of the gospel through the power of the Holy Spirit, he records in Acts 2, And this whole process that people got saved, baptized, and became part of the church. In Acts 2.41, you'll notice, after all this preaching's gone on about the gospel, verse 41, so then those who had received His word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. You notice that. Look down to verse... uh, uh, Forty forty seven, 47, as they've been continuing uh, with one mind, breaking bread from house to house, taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. Notice what they're doing. They're praising God, having faith with all the people, and the Lord, what was He doing? He was adding to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. So so, uh, this is math according to uh, God. He, He was multiplying. In uh, chapter 5, in verse number 14, all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number. And so it, it constantly increases. How many did we start with? Anybody remember? How, ma- how, many, how many believers did we start with? How many followers of the Lord Jesus? Okay. Before that, that's a good starting point. Hundred and twenty. Okay, so we we we've got uh, the disciples, and we've got a uh, hundred and twenty. We've got uh, preaching of the gospel that takes place, and all of a sudden, how many souls get added? We have got thousands. You know, two, three thousand people added to the church. So, uh, it's. I think it's a kind of a different scenario than uh, some of my history and experience, where uh, we've got uh, where we've got ushers that are uh, counting how many people, and you're gauging the health of the church based on how many people are represented in the pew and everything else. But there there is some kind of math going on. There's a there's a collection of lists of people, like the widows and the and the members list that grew as people were saved. So, so, this New Testament process, repented, believed in Christ, baptized, added to the church. In fact, when, when a believer would leave the church and move to another city, God called them to, to change location, which some of us have had to do, you know, like... Uh, Uh, For those of you, we were just praying for for Chris and Sue and the whole job thing. They know that because of the way the Lord's work and the job thing, they might end up having to sell their house and move uh, based around job. This happens in life. Well, it's no different than in the New Testament when people had to leave their church and their city and move to another one to find work. And when they'd move to another city, the church often wrote a letter of recommendation we we see this in acts and romans and colossians and second corinthians they were sending their blessing along with the saints as they would move to a different locale so there there were lists which has some implication towards membership another is the delineation of members as to who belonged to the assembly the the people and the leaders in the church. Let me point to one in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. This is uh, kind of one of those issues that the church doesn't like to admit to. Uh, This is not the good advertisement of, uh, of church and body life, is it, you know, that people who had been called out of the world and their own plans and their own sin was engaging in sin. In uh, 1 Corinthians 5, it had been reported that there is immorality among you, Corinthians. An immorality of such a kind as does not even exist among the Gentiles that somebody has his father's wife. An immoral man. And what was the, what was the end result to this scenario? Somebody in the church... Somebody within the body is engaging in their own plans and their own sin uh, for a season. And what's the church's response to be? Jesus taught on it back in Matthew 18. Church discipline. The seriousness of sin, right? And so this man was, what, what were they to do? Talk to me. It's not a rhetorical question. Okay? Okay. Okay. So, so we're to seek reconciliation, restoration. If there is no restoration one-on-one, then witnesses. If they don't respond, you know, it's always seeking restor- restoration, reconciliation. It, and if they don't, you it, heighten the intensity, heighten the, the seriousness every time. With the end result that if there is not any humble repentance, they're excluded. They're excluded from the church. This is, a, this is a hard reality, but a biblical one. Question, how can a person be excluded unless they had first been included? How can you be severed from being a part if you weren't a part? That's the question. That's a rhetorical one, though. Uh, this is a crucial part of uh, church discipline, matter of fact, in second uh, corinthians two six Paul referred to this this sin event with this man again, and he talks about this is the phrase that he uses. He says that this punishment is to be inflicted by the majority, so if when we come to the point of church discipline, where we're partaking of the Lord's table, somebody continues in their hard heart to not respond to the rebuke of a brother and sis, uh, brothers and sisters, we tell it to the church so that the entire church, up in the intensity, can come to them pleading with them to get right with the Lord and with each other. It's the majority. So that they'd see the seriousness. You can only have a majority if there's a defined group of people. So we've got this delineation of members as to who belonged to the assembly. Who's in and who's out. Who's a part and who's not a part. This is another uh, what, uh, sad reality about how that uh, uh, due to a lack of serious covenant commitment to, to membership, if somebody is excluded from the church, it's no big deal. Oh, that'd be a big deal. My church family. So, there's this delineation of members and even leadership. You look at uh, what we're studying in uh, uh, Titus 1, which we'll be back to uh, next week. We've got leadership in the church. We've got uh, uh, teaching pastors. We've got elders who, who shepherd the congregation. We've got deacons who serve. Church government is given. There's a plurality of elders that are given the responsibility to oversee, to uh, labor among them. First Thessalonians 5.12 To have charge over the people. 1 Timothy 5.17, to keep watch over our souls. Where is that one found? Who will give an account. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. This all requires a distinguishable membership. How are they going to shepherd and give an account if they don't know who they are? Uh, Last week when we were... uh, At another part of this series. We were mentioning how that uh, uh, I'd recounted for you a story I'd heard Dever tell about when he first came to uh, Capitol Hill Baptist Church. Uh, They're a Southern Baptist church, and in many, uh, not all, but in in, in a lot of the Southern Baptist churches, you've got uh, uh, a, a membership roster, a membership role that is like yay big, and on Sunday you only see about this many. And these many people are on the membership rolls. They never purge the rolls. They don't exercise diligence and responsibility to care for, for that. Uh, and so, on, I believe, if I recall correctly, it was on a Wednesday night that one by one at a congregational meeting, they said, well, let's get our rolls up to date so that our membership roster reflects the church. And at the end of that night, after however many hours, two or three hours, ah uh, dever says wow now i know who my church is now i know who i'm to shepherd and care for and teach the word of god to this is the church so god's given uh, a delineation of membership and and leadership so paul paul specified who's who's in and out who's marked off from the world healthy churches want their earthly records to approximate as much as possible heaven's own records of those that have been recorded in the Lamb's book of life. Somebody comes to Christ, we want to receive them into membership and active participation in the ministry. And even even to the point in our ministry experience together in dismissing individuals just as the New Testament does, uh, dismissing people in uh, either church discipline who don't follow through on it, or uh, what does John teach us in First uh, John 2? The, the, they might be dismissed uh, because they go out from us because they never were of us. But to the best of our human ability, we want to find out somebody's credible confession of, uh, of conversion, that there's an understanding of that. And uh, so, implications of the New Testament. People got saved, baptized, added to the church. Now, think with me for a moment. Any, any questions before I move on? All right, I'm moving on to the next slide. Let's, let me give you three among many. Knowing, I, I always try to figure out how much time we've got to, to cover how much, how much stuff, and so... Uh, Just a couple of different words. Membership speaks, number one, of commitment. Commitment. In a day like ours, in which commitment is a rare commodity, such a low emphasis, low priority on membership by many believers should come as no surprise. Though it, it ought to rightfully grieve us that it's not a priority it shouldn't surprise us so here we have got uh, upon salvation expression is given in committing to a particular body when when you got saved came to Christ you became a member of the body of Jesus Christ 1 Corinthians 12:13 this is what is referred to as, uh, some people refer to it as the, the universal body of Christ. I'm in Christ all, all of a sudden upon uh, placing my faith in Christ, turning from my sin, I'm, I'm in Christ. Uh, I've been clothed with His righteousness. I've been adopted into God's forever family. You became a member of the body of Christ. And because you're united with the body of Christ and other members who are part of that body, notice that connection you're qualified to become a member of the local expression of that body. So there's to be regular assembling and regular rejoicing in our common hope and spur each other on to love and good deeds. A familiar passage that we have and continue to turn to regularly. This will come up in our Scripture readings as we're going through the book of Hebrews together. But in Hebrews 10... You'll notice, ramping up, in in chapter 10, as he's drawing some application, some exhortation, putting the handles to the truth of what this doctrine looks like in our lives together practically, he talks about some uh, heads of lettuce that ought to be part of the Garden of Christianity, let us do this, let us do that. In verse 22, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for He who promises faith. You know, don't give it up. It's hard. Keep on keeping on in the battle. Verse 24, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds said negatively, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So we're regularly assembling to regularly rejoice in our common hope and to spur to love and good deeds. We'll we'll, uh, unpack this in, in just a little bit about some of the significance of that. So when we're talking about church membership, we are not simply talking about simply a a record of a box that we once checked, but something that is ongoing. Church membership is an ongoing reality, a participation in the gospel ministry. It's not a sentimental feeling or an expression of affection towards a familiar place. Well, I'm a part of that church. When somebody formally commits to an identifiable local body, they are joined for divinely ordained purposes. Define it scripturally. Define theologically. Define biblically what you have covenanted to in membership. What are some of the passages you would turn to of what church membership speaks to? Why do we join together in ministry? Biblically stated. Exercise our spiritual gifts, great answer. so we would turn to uh, some of the spiritual gifts passages for that, uh, Romans 12, 3-8, 1 Corinthians 12, 4-31, 1 Peter 4, 10-11, uh, that uh, all of them speaking with the same consistent weight that when God saved us, when we became indwelt by the Spirit of God, we were given a gifting, a unique way to serve God and advance His body, His kingdom agenda here in the world. So, serving and edifying through the use of spiritual gifts. How about another one? Receiving instruction from God's Word. 2 Timothy 4 2, preach the Word. A divinely ordained purpose, receive instruction from the Word, serve and edify, participate in the ordinances. God's given us baptism in the Lord's table as, as re- regular memorials, commemoration of gospel truth to rehearse regularly with each other. Proclaiming the gospel to the lost, the Great Commission, Matthew 28. It is a living commitment or it is worthless. It's not just a box that we checked, while well, I became a member of this and such, and uh, it hasn't really affected me much since then. Uh, So, membership speaks of commitment, but it also, number two, let me put another word in your thought process here, responsibility. Membership speaks of responsibility. This kind of lays hold of that spiritual gift and serving uh, uh, dynamic that we were just talking about, grasping a hold of fellow believers in responsibility and love that, that, As we fellowship with Christ, we do so together. Like when we go to the Lord's table, we do so together. So we serve together. We roll up our sleeves together in ministry. Uh, That I'm responsible for you and you're responsible for me. That's serious business. That's not a take it or leave it church membership mentality. There's serious responsibility that we are pursuing covenant membership at a particular church that that tells the leadership and the other members, I'm committed to you. I'll I'll, I'll be a part. I'm supporting in the gatherings. I'm supporting in the givings. I'm supporting in the intercessions. We, 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 We serve together. We give together. We pray together. We minister together. All of it togetherness. That's why the church is the best place on earth. Most important place on earth. Think with me just from the angle in the New Testament of the one another's. The body life. How we do church to and with each other. The one another's where we are committed or are devoted to growth in the body, to each other's mutual edification, and that can only take place in the context of the corporate body of Christ. I made some more copies because uh, the other ones that were out on the table uh, disappeared, and I'll stick another fresh batch. Uh, I, I took a list that somebody else put together, and uh, for the last few years I've been adding to it as I come across another one another. There's, uh, I don't remember what the final count was on the list. Uh, I'd gotten over forty-three of one another commands in the New Testament. This is what the apostles identify in their epistles, which are given to the church. That's you and I if we're in Christ. One of the greatest joys of being part of a church family is to be used by God to minister to others. And so God's Word contains numerous one another commands that that outline in very specific fashion and here's, here's what's so helpful about this list. When, when, when we think through the one another commands of Scripture, it helps us think very specifically as to who I am to be to you and who you are to be to me, to one another. Commands that outline specific ways that as a, a member of Newtown Bible Church, I can consider how to fulfill scriptural mandates in the lives of others. To prefer one another, to outdo one another in honor, Romans 12.10. To correct each other in maturity, Romans 15.14. To not with... Uh, uh, when when uh, Paul says, uh, be of the same mind to one another, have a modest opinion of yourself. Pursue peace and build up others. The list goes on, I'm not going to read it to you, so I'll just... Uh, Place another batch out on the uh, in the foyer for your perusal, your meditation on biblical injunctions of one another living in covenant membership. so church membership uh, a, a healthy church trait of a biblical understanding of church membership leads to commitment it leads to Responsibility. I, 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 say, or you say, uh, I'm your responsibility. You're my responsibility. That's countercultural, and I would go one step beyond in not saying, not just saying that it's countercultural. It is contrary to our sinful natures. You look at all those injunctions uh, to one another. It's not. It's not easy. It's not quick. Uh, it's costly. In uh, uh, especially time, energy. Responsibility comes from our mutual obligations. Think of how some of the previous marks of a healthy church that we have contemplated contribute to membership speaking of responsibility. We we, we looked at a biblical understanding of the gospel. A biblical understanding of the gospel and conversion and evangelism kind of culminate in church responsibility if we understand the gospel and conversion and evangelism members are going to be growing in their understanding of responsibility the more we cherish the gospel and understand that conversion is God's work and evangelism we evangelize as instructed to would-be disciples that they are to count the cost before they build. We're less, if we if we do that, we're less going to regard churches as a come as you please or get what you can attachment. We're going to get away from the uh, consumer mentality of the church. Well, it's got this, it's got this, but it doesn't have that. I guess I don't want to be a part because it doesn't, fill my whole list up of what I think ought to be in a church. One of the things that ought to be before our hearts and minds regularly is our covenant of commitment, which I ran off a fresh batch since those were out too. Uh, A covenant where we've pledged to God and one another through the aid of, of His Spirit to live out the gospel in community. In community. And so it goes down through to delineate what that looks like, that we're going to work and pray for the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We're going to walk together in brotherly love as becomes the members of a Christian church, exercising affectionate care and watchfulness over each other and faithfully admonish and entreat one another as occasions may require. And the list goes on. Let me encourage you to take home a fresh copy of what we've covenanted together in membership here at the church to get away from the consumerist mentality and covenant, commitment, responsibility. Uh, it's not uh, a get-what-you-can attachment, a, another store to peek your head into, or a Christian market or mall. We're going to view the church as our home. We'll view the church as a place where all the parts care for one another mutually together as we serve our worthy Christ. So membership speaks of responsibility. Let me give you a third word to think about as we think about church. Membership speaks of salvation. Eh? We're not saying that uh, when somebody joins a church, it washes all my sins away, wash all my sins away. Church doesn't do that. When somebody joins a biblical church, what, what precedes the joining part? We're, we're rehearsing the gospel, we're finding out if the person's converted, if they're given a, valid, uh, a profession of faith, that they know Jesus, they've turned from their sin. When, when somebody's recounting their testimony, I say, hey, hey, share your, your testimony with me. I'm not asking them to dot every theological I and cross every theological T uh, as to every uh, ramification of justification by faith in Christ alone. I don't even care if they use the word justification in their testimony, but I'm looking for the principle do they understand justification by faith in Christ alone or are they relying on human merit? And as we he- rehearse our testimonies together of what God's done in saving our souls we join the church, get saved, baptize, join the church, same New Testament model. However, what if we're not part And would just kind of exist in the body. That's what we're getting at here. When we say membership speaks of salvation. When somebody becomes part of a biblically healthy church, we're saying that they've gone through membership class. We've heard their testimony of conversion. They profess to know Jesus. And if they're not a real part, they're confusing fellow believers as to what a Christian is. And you know what they're also doing? They're confusing unbelievers as to what a Christian is. They're saying, yeah, I'm a, I'm a part of Newtown Bible Church or whatever other church, healthy church is out there. You saying that's what salvation is? That's what Christianity is? You just, you just give money and you show up, you fill a pew and you go home and you do it all over again the next week. I think there, uh, when, when we say that an uninvolved member confuses both Christian and unchristian alike, after going through membership class and having conversations together, recounting our testimonies of conversion, telling others of our justification and not working out that justification, you see what the disconnect is? When a church welcomes into its membership, there's at least some elementary level of endorsement of their Christianity. They they said that they came to Christ. We are saved unto good works. And if there are no good works to follow, there's a very real concern there. If you've not seen somebody, somebody covenanted in membership... You know, they, they joined the church. They got baptized here. And all of a sudden, you don't see hide nor hair of them for weeks or months. There ought to be a grave concern, a big question mark that develops in your heart and mind when you come alongside them and say, where Ben, you been, bro? That reaching out, that concerned effort. You haven't seen them forever. How can you as a supposed fellow believer, a joint heir with Jesus, a supposed brother, testify that they're your brother in Christ? You haven't seen them. How do you know? How do you know they're not shacking up or out at the bar or wherever the case may be, what they're like? You haven't seen them to validate their profession. So, how can you testify that they're faithfully running the race? You don't know. There's been no relational interchange that's taken place. You know, if, if some are missing in action, they, okay, God calls them away for the job change that we talked about earlier. Or somebody moves because it's so cotton and expensive to live in Fairfield County, they had to move to Texas. Or, or job changes to Ohio. Or where else have we gone this, uh, this year? Uh, Buffalo. Buffalo. Yeah, thank you. You know, so all these so so when we leave the church there's automatically that engagement in another biblically healthy church. If there isn't that engagement, that ought to cause concern. Where are they? How do we know if they were ever really part of us, if they go out from us? 1 John 2:19. Now, we don't know. I, I don't want you to step over the line here. Think with discerning ears and mind right now. We are not saying that somebody hasn't been here for months on end or they're, they're serving themselves and their sin and, and whatnot. We cannot say, I know you're not a Christian. You see where the difference is? We can say, you know, you know brother, sister, I'm, I'm really concerned for you. We can't say that they're not. We just can't express our confidence that they're a joint heir with us because no gospel has been worked out, no fruit of regeneration in our lives together on our way to heaven when perpetually absent, not pursuing God's kingdom agenda. So membership is, is kind of a public affirmation of faith and agreement with the basic doctrine that we hold to to be true. So, non, non-members are, are even limited in capacity. Somebody doesn't become part of, of the church, well, we can't have them teaching or in upfront ministries of song and, or even ushering and whatnot. They're, they're going to limit themselves by not becoming a part of the work. So, membership Speaks of salvation. Yeah, they're, they're a brother or sister in Christ serving together. We, we feel, feel pretty confident that they, they know the Lord. We're not saying church that, that a church requires perfection when we say that either, but just a humility and honesty. We're not counting heads and decisions, but real discipleship. The, the New Testament presents a corporate covenanting with God and with each other, an intention in membership and covenant. So, I guess we can, could conclude it this way, some of, some of the overflow of having a healthy view in a healthy church of membership. Here's what brings meaning to membership. We'll make it our… Uh, it'll make our witness more clear. As unbelievers see, wow, the the gospel's on display. Something's happening. Their lives transformed. This guy I work with used to talk this way. And something happened to his tongue along the way. It'll make our witness more clear. Second, it'll it'll make it harder for uh, weaker sheep to stray. You know, as, as we come alongside struggling sheep in body life, covenanting together, It would be harder for them to stray from the fold and still call themselves sheep. It'll help shape and focus discipleship and intentionality. It'll help church leaders know exactly for whom they're responsible. In the end, God will be glorified. Let me ask you to be praying about this lesson in the life of Newtown Bible Church. Pray that church membership will come to mean more than it currently does, that we would learn to excel still more in this distinguishing trait of church health. As this develops, we'll know better uh, whom to pray for, whom uh, whom to encourage, whom to challenge in the faith. It means being incorporated in practical ways into the body of Christ as we are traveling together as, what's the apostles say? Aliens. And as we're, as we're strangers in this world, we're strangers together as we journey to our heavenly home. Simply put, membership matters. And so I submit that to you as a seventh mark of church health. Would you pray with me? Our God, we look at the way You have been so kind in condescending to sinners such as us. You sent the Lord Jesus to robe Himself in human flesh. You sent Your Spirit with power on Pentecost, all stemming from or flowing out of Your elective love in eternity past. We count it a joy and a privilege to be a part, not only of the body of Christ, but even the local expression. Help us to be committed to that, to recognize responsibility, that we would grow in our one another ministry to and with each other. We ask that through this covenant of membership at this church, the gospel would be clearly manifest to believer and unbeliever alike. For the praise of the head of the church, the Lord Jesus, we ask it. Amen.